Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 12, and I'll read verse 13 also. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God, in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, lest when thou hast eaten and art full, when thou hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, that all that thou hast is multiplied. And then in verse 18, it says, But thou shalt remember that the Lord thy God, rather thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he sware unto his fathers as it is this day. Father, thank you for your word. The Holy Spirit, I pray that you uh, reveal to us the principles in Scripture, that we might walk in them. Uh, Lord, help us to be biblical Christians, not emotional Christians. And Father, I pray, grant us today a breakthrough anointing, to be able to break through mindsets that hinder us, mindsets that have been with us, uh, some of us for almost all our lives, uh, mindsets, Lord God, that have limited us, that we might be able to pursue you and become all that you've called us to be and to be able to accomplish, Lord, even as your men of old, that they were able to accomplish your will and your purposes in their generation, and then it says they rested with their fathers. So, Lord, may we be able to do all that you called us to do, my Father. Give us this breakthrough anointing, my God, that we might break through first on the inside, and then, Lord, that we might be able to break through in our uh, spheres of influence. We'll give you the glory for it. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen and amen. amen. You may be seated in God's presence. So I read that verse. I'll read, uh, I'll read other verses also. But today's message, I just want to talk a couple of minutes about breaking destructive mindsets that hinder your more prosperous future. And we need to be all that God called us to be because our families need for us to be that all, all that God called us to be. We need to be all that God called us to be because our communities need that. Our jobs need that. Our businesses need that. Our generation needs that. We have to be all that God called us to be. And um, I come from a family which was a very humble family. And, and uh, you know, I talk to my wife often as to what were some of the systems my parents used in order to raise me and in order to make me a upright citizen. And today, I, I appreciate all that I experienced, but during that time, it was very embarrassing to me. One of the ways they would teach me humility, and they would teach me how to be poor. My, my own mother told me that. No, we're teaching you how to be poor. We're teaching you how to be humble, because life is hard out there. So from their perspective, there was not enough out there, so they had to teach their children uh, to be poor and to appreciate uh, being poor, to be appreciate, uh, you know, what they had, what little they had. So they would buy me high waters. Now, I don't know if you know what high waters are. You heard about it. Well, it's interesting because everything comes back. Today, there are men out there making half a million dollars and they're wearing high waters. You can see almost all of their socks, very colorful, flowery socks and really excellent shoes, and they're wearing high waters. But my, from my perspective, that was not a fun thing. I would go to school and kids would criticize me, and my mother would say, no, you wear high waters. 
And then she would go to the used uh, store, used clothing store, and buy me used stuff. She says, this is used. I want you to know that this was used. And uh, because you need to understand, it's, 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 it's hard out there. So, I mean, I'm not criticizing my mom in the sense that she did what she could. My, fa my, my father did what he could. I understand that. That's, I have no problem. I'm talking about principles. But I want to let you know why, uh, from, at least from my vantage point, why some of the principles that I was raised with were wrong. They were wrong not because my parents were bad. They were wrong, uh, but that's all my parents knew. And since they were good people, they did their best for me. Now, having said that, there is a balance to that. Today's generation of children are only used to the best. So the counterbalance is that uh, eventually they're going to go through some hard times too, and they're not going to be able to deal with it. So to a great extent, my parents did me a favor in letting me go through all of that. At age 12, I was already working. I was working with the bookies. You know, I'd run the front part, you know, I'd, I'd sell all the candy and all the, the bread and the milk, while in the back room they were really conducting uh, where, you know, the action, the real action. So I remember all of that, and, but by age 12, you know, my dad wouldn't give me a cent. You know, you got to work for everything you got. So I appreciate that because it made me a man very early in life. But again, I want to talk about principles today, principles. Principles to the Christians and principles um, that will make you prosperous in life. Principles that even the world can use because the Bible says that God makes it rain upon the just and the unjust. So there are principles in this earth realm that work for anybody if they operate in them correctly and effectively. You know, you have principles of diligence, principles of, of, of learning uh, the required things in order to operate in excellence in a given uh, business or endeavor. When we do that, we'll, we'll tend to prosper in life. So the world understands many of these principles, and they're all in the Bible. And, but something has happened to the church, and this is not something that is new. I was saved in the 70s. I was saved in 1974. And uh, almost immediately, I learned principles in Scripture that weren't biblical principles. They were cultural principles. And so many of these cultural principles, uh, unfortunately, did not bring glory to God. It made a great appearance, but it wasn't really in Scripture. And because of that, many of the children suffered. Many of the children left the churches, um, or, or, and some stayed, but they were always waiting for the next day for Jesus to come. One of the principles was don't bother studying, don't bother getting ready, because Jesus is imminently, imminently coming. Cristo viene ya. They used to say Cristo viene pronto, which means Jesus is coming soon. Then they changed the mantra to Cristo viene ya, which means Christ is coming imminently, any moment now. And so they were saying that in the 70s. So many of us young kids uh, didn't study. And uh, we didn't study, and uh, what happened was uh, Jesus didn't come. And those that did study got the better jobs, and then we had to work for the people that had the, uh, the education. Right? So uh, I, I look back now, and, and I learn. Jesus might come next week. Jesus might come today. Jesus might come in a hundred years. What does the scripture say about that? It says, tarry until I return. Occupy until I return. In other words, get busy with kingdom business until he returns. It's not our business as to when he returns. It's our business to do business here in this earth realm until he returns. 
And the business of the gospel is to preach the gospel, disciple the gospel, do missionary work throughout the world, expand the knowledge of the, the word of the Lord, uh, build churches, build ch parachurch ministries that can help. Right now, uh, as an example, in Puerto Rico, in Cuba, in Barbuda, in Antigua, in all that area that suffered, in Texas, in Florida, there are many churches. See, uh, Channel 7 Eyewitness News will not tell you about that, but there are many churches right now that are focused on sending people and resources to help people that uh, unfortunately have lost homes and have lost resources, have lost jobs. There are many people that are living in church buildings right now. See, the church in action. We are salt, we are light, right? And so, and that's gonna continue. Whether or not we get any credit for it, it doesn't make a difference, we will continue. So when I read this verse, God is saying, don't forget the Lord. When I prosper you, when I give you plenty, when I give you homes, when, when it, it says here, when your herds and your flocks multiply, when your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied. See, he's not criticizing the multiplication. He was saying humans have a tendency that when they prosper, they forget the Lord. Humans have a tendency to put other things before the Lord. And he was saying, don't do that because remember, I am the one that gives you the power to acquire wealth. That word power is a unique ability to bring in resources. God gives us the power to acquire wealth in that verse. But the word wealth there also means power in the original Hebrew. And that word power means a chameleon-like substance that can change to what you need it to be. So God says, I give you power and substance in your hands that can shift into what you need it to be. And today that might be resources, it might be networks. Like yesterday, I made a call to a pastor friend of mine. I have power with my friends. So what I did, I called him. I says, I would like to see you next Saturday here with, your, with the guys. He said, for you, absolutely. If I wouldn't have called, he wouldn't have come. But I have power to be able to shift people, their actions. He was going to do something Saturday, but he's no longer going to do that. He's going to come and be with us here, and his guys are going to get impacted, and, and the atmosphere is going to really be electric. It's going to be great next week, right? But we might have had 60 guys, but now we might have 120 guys. Why? Because all of us, I know Minister Julio's doing the same thing. I know James is doing the same thing, Renee and, and the rest of us. We're inviting our friends. I know Julio Rodriguez is doing a phenomenal job of promoting it uh, via our website, via our uh, email system. And uh, some of you have seen our announcements, right, via Facebook? Anybody? Raise your hands. Yeah, we, we're, we're advertising, we're promoting, we're using our power to shift it into what we feel it should be, right? So what is the power that you have in your hands? Ask your neighbor, what is the power that you have in your hands? You're very powerful individuals. You have a lot in your surroundings. You have friends, you have family, you have uh, acquaintances. One guy by the name of Gerard, years ago he wrote a book. It was a very humble book, it was a soft cover book, and it caught my attention. Uh, this guy was the Guinness World Book record holder of seven, uh, selling the most cars. 
So that took, it interested me in the 80s. So I read it, and so my man was broke, busted, and disgusted. He had no job, and you know, he had no food for his kids. His wife was saying, hello, we need to eat. So he went out there, they gave him a job in a Chevy um, auto parts, not auto parts, but a car dealership. And there was a lot of guys there, and he went through their training, but he noted that, that the guys would just stand there. People would come in, they'd just stand there, wait for the person to come. He was so hungry, and, and you know, his kids needed milk, so he ran up to the first person that showed up. It wasn't even his turn. You know, each salesman gets a turn. He ran right up to him, he says, hi, my name is Joe Girard, and, or Gil Girard, and he shook the guy's hand and, and just I mean, put a lot of love on that guy, and the guy sold the car. And later on, they asked him, what was your motivation? What helped you? He said, milk. I said, what do you mean, milk? So my kids needed milk. My man was hungry, and he utilized something he had all along. He just didn't know it. And then he developed a system where every single month he would reach out to every client. Uh, he found out what, were their, what was their birthday, what was their uh, anniversary, the children's names, uh, 12 things he would find out from them. And then he, every single month he'd send them a card. No sales pitch, just here's a happy anniversary from your favorite car salesman, Gil Gerard. Happy birthday from your fa favorite car salesman, Gil Gerard. So it was interesting that after a while, people would make lines to come to that car dealership. And the, and the horde of salesmen were right there looking, it's my turn, says, I'm here for Gil Gerard, please. Okay, go ahead. And he'd have a pack of people swarming to buy cars from him. And, and now he's in the world, Guinness World Book of Records. Nothing special about him except the fact he tapped into his power. And all of us have the same power. We just don't know it. Many of us don't know it. Those who know it go on to become very successful in their fields of endeavor. And uh, the problem is, since we don't know it, then we manufacture mindsets that protect you know, our limits. So instead of learning what the limits are and learn how to overcome them, we make excuses for where we're at. And then by consequence, we start disliking the very people that sped past us and used their power. The haters? <laughs> Yeah, sometimes in, in, inadvertently we become haters. And then we begin, begin to criticize them. And in the church, much of that teaching has gotten involved. Um, it, it's gotten inculcated in our, uh, I guess, Christian philosophy. Some of us hate rich people. They say rich people are evil. Uh, rich people are no good. Uh, you know, there's uh, you know, invariably something wrong. Wherever there's smoke, there's fire. And yet, simply, that's not the case. Yes, there are rich people that are evil. Yes, guaranteed. But guess what? I know poor people in my community where I was raised that were very evil. They were just nasty, evil people, and they're in prison now or dead. So it's not the, the money that made them evil. It's not the resources or the fame or the titles. It was just a mindset. So God says, don't forget, I'm the one that gives you the power, the chameleon-like substance. Uh, uh, it's, 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 a, it's, it's a creativity that you could utilize to create wealth in the earth realm, they says, so that my covenant can be established. What's God's covenant? Well, obviously, we know what it is. It's so that people could come to saving faith in Christ. You're on earth so that people could know that Jesus loves them. God saved you, but he didn't just save you. Rather, he didn't just save you. He saved you to do something. 
He saved you so that you could reveal your purpose. And part of that purpose is letting other people know that Jesus is a good God. He's a loving God. That he made a way for us to be reconnected with the Heavenly Father. So we're to use all that we have, that chameleon-like substance, to make things happen in this earth realm while we have an opportunity. So God needs you to be very prosperous. He needs you to understand what you have in your right hand, your left hand. He needs for you to activate it because if you are flowing with God's heart, you know what's important to God. He wants the world to come to get to know him. Amen? In Haggai chapter 1, it says, the word of the Lord came to the prophet, Haggai, the prophet, the prophet, the prophet. So who's the prophet? One who speaks the word of the Lord to a city, to a region. So Haggai speaks this unusual word in chapter 1. I think it's around verse 3 to about 8. It says, is this time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much, but you bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, saith the Lord. Wow. So what is it that was bringing pleasure to God? Was it that the people were prospering and have beautiful houses? No. Was it that they were living well, they were eating well? No. So God spoke to him and says, listen, you guys are going through the same thing that other generations went through. And that is you focus on yourselves. And you never have enough. See, part of the reason is, is that when greed comes into your heart, you're never satisfied. You always want more. You have two pairs of shoes, you want four. You have four, you want eight. You want eight, you have eight, you want 16. You have 16, you want 32. You're never satisfied. You have one car, you want two cars. You have two cars, you want four cars. You have one house, you want two houses. We're never satisfied. But that, is, that does not come from the Spirit of God. That comes from our own human sinful nature. We never have enough. We want more. And God is saying, consider your ways. You know, it's kind of a serious thing to have God tell you, listen, I want you to reassess your actions. I want you to reassess your thinking because there's something that has gone wrong in there. And one thing about Almighty God, He doesn't have an opinion. He only deals with facts. Because he knows us. He knows the deep part of your heart. So I have, an, I have an important question. Why are some people so critical of wealth or resource or influence when God clearly says that heaven will be a place of great riches? Does God have a problem with riches? Does God have a problem with plenty? Does God have a problem with wealth? If you look at heaven, are you aware that the door... So the new Jerusalem is huge and it's one pearl. A whole door made of a pearl. We, we're happy if we get a pearl this big. And over there in heaven, the doors are made of pearl. Jasmine, hyacinth, it's, it's gold, silver. It's not an issue. God creates it. It's all underground. 
There's enough wealth in this earth realm to make everybody a millionaire. It's not an issue. The issue always is our mindsets, greed. Look at our nation right now. We are imploding politically because each, each uh, section of, of political influence has their own mini agendas and they can't get together. Who's suffering? The people always suffer. The people always suffer. Why are his streets made with gold if gold is bad? If, if silver is bad, why? Why does God do that? Well, we, come on, God. Don't you know that this stuff is bad? I don't think so. Something wrong here. We've, in our mind, we have received uh, philosophies, and they're so mixed in with our emotion that it literally offends us and gets us angry if we hear anything about money in the church. Some of you right now might be offended now. So why is pastor speaking? Shouldn't he be speaking about something spiritual? I am. This is spiritual. Why would God ask for a tithe if it wasn't spiritual? I got no amens right now. <laughs> why? Why? Why did God bless King David with riches? David, you should be poor. You shouldn't be blessed. That's wrong. That's evil. David wasn't rich. He was very rich. His personal offering, not the offering of the government, his personal offering to the temple that Solomon was going to build was half a billion dollars. I would like to give an offering of half a billion dollars one day. You know why? If I'm giving an offering of half a billion, that means I'm a billionaire. <laughs> Isn't that cool? You know, well, I remember Shambach. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm exposing my age. R.W. Shambach in the, from the 70s, great preacher. One time a guy came, came up to me and said, oh, Shambach, I need prayer. Why? What's the problem? I, 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 can't, I can't do this. I, I have to give a tithe of $70. He says, that's oh, not a bad thing. That's a good thing. See, because a tithe is 10%. So if he has to give a tithe of $70 back in the 70s, it means he was making $700 in that time. This is really, really good, right? I, but I, I can't. It's just too much money. So what do you mean? What did you make before? He said, well, when I started, I was making $7 a week. And, and so Shambach said, all right, no problem. Let me pray for you. Mm. Almighty God. That's how we used to, you know, talk. Almighty God, I pray right now that you get this man fired and bring him back to the job where he was making $7 a week. So, so the guy went, don't, don't pray to me. I don't want to lose my job. I like my job. He said, so why are you complaining? God has prospered you and you're complaining? Then, the, then it hit the guy. He says, oh, I'm so sorry. But he was, he was actually worried. It's because he had, he had a mindset of poverty. He was afraid to lose. So when you're afraid to lose something, by the way, that's not the spirit of God in you. That's, it's a mindset of poverty. When you're afraid to lose something, it means that you lost something before, and now you're in a perpetual position, position of what's going to take it from me? What's going to take it from me? And you're always looking because you're afraid you're going to lose something. And God is teaching us to understand that there is more. And he wants to give you more. Then in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it says, I want to enrich you for all liberality. The word liberality there means so you could be generous with others. So God wants to enrich us, and we're afraid of losing it all. Which is the correct mindset? Remember I told you in the beginning, I'm going to offend some of you? Now is the time. Because you're going to have to deal with some issues right now that are inside of you. And... One guy said this to me years ago, one preacher, 
And from that moment on, I started using that as a plumb line as to how I respond when I give. Either time, either my talent, either my treasure. And that was this. He says, whenever in church they talk about a tithe or giving or giving a special offering especially, if you're offended, if inside you're feeling offense, you're, you're angry, yes, that's a, that comes from a spirit of poverty. Then he started explaining it. He says, that's not God. That is us. It comes from our nature based on what we were taught in the past. But the problem with that is that same anger that you have in having somebody talk to you and take you higher is the same thing that will get in your own way when you try to do better in life. It will always bring you down. So you have to check that in your spirit. Okay, I got five amens. It's good. That's good. Appreciate it. Why do we have to preach good news to the poor? Isn't poverty a holy thing? Why was it that God told the rich people of an older generation, when you do your field and you pick all of your harvest, leave the edges. Leave the edges. Because the poor are going to come and they're going to glean so that they can have to eat also. Why did God bother partnering with rich, with rich people if they were unrighteous, nasty, evil people? See, I love this moment right now because I know you're thinking about it. You're really thinking about it. You're saying, oh, wow, never thought about it. Yeah, I want you to think about that. By the way, that field that was being gleaned, Boaz was a righteous man, but he was also a wealthy man. And Boaz obeyed God. He would always leave the field uh, totally cultivated. Then when he took the harvest, he'd take everything except the corners. And the poor folk would come and eat. How are you as a Christian who loves God going to give a tithe and going to leave the edges of your field generous if you're broke? Why was the gospel preached to the poor? It was to bring the poor out of poverty. It's to save them spiritually, but God doesn't only talk about spiritually. He says, those that leave father and mother for my sake, I will restore to them 100-fold houses, brothers and sisters. And I will restore, in the, and then it says, in this lifetime, and then in the life to come, eternal life. So God deals with the whole situation. He doesn't just deal with spiritual riches. He also deals with having more than enough in this earth realm, because by the way, he's God, and he knows what's on this earth, and he knows there's more than enough. And he knows, and by the way, he criticizes constantly those evil men, and I say today, men and women, who have the resources but refuse to share them. God's not criticizing the rich man. He's criticizing the evil of the rich man that refuses to share with others and bring them higher too. That was a good place to say amen. amen. Hallelujah. Why are the following verses in the Bible if riches are a bad thing? Psalms 35, 27. Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually. Let them say continually. Let them say continually. What does that mean when somebody tells you that? Don't stop. Hmm? Don't stop? Let them say continually. Let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. He was talking to David, about David. Or actually, that was David. He had a revelation that God was a generous God. God was a loving God, a good God, a providing God. And he told all the subjects, let us say continually that, that we magnify God. 
He has pleasure. Remember what the verses I read before? It's consider your ways, go to the field, and get resources for my house so that my house might be built so that I may be glorified and have pleasure in it. God has pleasure when we take our place in the kingdom and we give of our time, our talent, our resources, our finances, our abilities, our ideas, our creativity to make sure the kingdom of God expands. How does the kingdom of God expand? Well, in many ways. In community, it could be an after-school center. It could be a latchkey program. It could be a business center for up-and-coming young people. Remember, you have a great field. Now it's time to let the edges you know, be available for those that don't have yet. When I, was, when I was 18, I fell in love, and I wanted to get married right away. And I asked my mother, my mother-in-law, sorry, my mother-in-law for my, my wife's hand in marriage. And I knew I love her. We were already dating for four years, yeah, three years, three years. And I knew I wanted to get married, but I was a kid. Looking at it back now, I was a kid. But going back into my mindset, I knew that I loved her, and I knew I was going to take care of her. And we went to have children and grandchildren, raise a beautiful family. And then I went to my mother-in-law. Can I have your, mother, I mean, your daughter's hand in, in marriage? She said, no. <laughs> so I said, no, no. You can't get married to my daughter. I'm not going to give you my daughter. My daughter needs to go to college. My, my daughter needs to get educated. Right? So uh, that, that offended me. I was so angry at her. I was so angry at her because... You know, how dare she? We're, we're in love, man. I'm going I'm to marry her. I'm going to take care of her. I'm a good man. So, you know, I, I decided to elope. So that night, so that night I called my, my wife. I said, okay, we're eloping. We're moving to Puerto Rico. And so she said one, one more time to her mother. I said, I'm, I'm marrying Victor no matter what. And so her mom got angry. She ran after her, chased after her to let her have it. You know, those days. Those days, there, there was no love, man. When it was time to get out the switch, if there was no switch, there was, I mean, and she was a tough woman. And so the father gets right in the way and says, stop. He says, Victor's a good young man, and our daughter loves him. He's trying to do it the right way. What are you, what are you, what are you doing? All right, well, fine. She can get married. I'm just going to buy her the dress, that's all. So she was upset at me, and meanwhile, I didn't have a job. So I went around, I went looking, and I found a nice place. I became a doorman on 57th Street between 6th and 5th Avenue. Rich place. I'm a ritzy, ritzy place. And I was happy, had my nice suit, I looked handsome in it, you know, I had a hat on. I was, I was, I was, I was already rolling in the dough, you know. But one thing I noticed is that I had never seen anybody like me from my vantage point, my, my parents are Puerto Rican, and I had never seen anybody, uh, my uncles or anybody, uh, uh, really having higher level jobs. So I didn't have that experience. I didn't have that influence. So when I got this doorman job, for me, I had arrived. You know why? My dad was a doorman. That's what I saw another man doing. But something blew me away, and that is that in that building, the one running the entire building, 40 Central Park South, I mean, multi-millionaire building. I would see Muhammad Ali, Liza Manelli, Johnny Cash. I'd see all the, the rich folk coming in and out. Oh, you know Mr. Cash? And, you know, it was so cool. I, I would buy milk, a jug of milk for uh, Mr. Cash. He'd give me like $7. And milk at that time was, I don't know, 75 cents a dollar. He was, he was always very generous. Liza Manelli. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. 
<laughs> Some people were generous, others just, just kept it all. So anyway, but one day it blew me away because the supervisor, the guy that ran the entire joint, was a guy by the name of Mr. Al Ramirez. And it, it's hard for me to remember names, people. Take it from me. Sometimes I meet you, 10 minutes later, I forget your name. It's just horrible. I hate that. But, you know, it just happened. But I still remember this, this man's name, and I'll tell you why. Because one day, after two months of working there, I would see him always walking around suit and tie, always talking to the millionaires, and he ran the entire place. We were his employees, and if he fired us, we were fired. If he hired, we were hired. He hired me. And he was a Puerto Rican. I had never seen a Puerto Rican at that level, operating at that level. It's just my ignorance. I know they are, just I didn't see any at that time. So I go to him one time at 2 in the morning. He would walk out 2 in the morning because he lived there also. He had a free apartment, garage, everything. And he, one day he walks out 2 in the morning. He couldn't sleep. I said, Mr. Ramirez, said, yes, yes, young man. He says, how in the world could you be in Puerto Rican and get a job like this? Now, I got to tell you, that is a racist comment. <laughs> it is insensitive. But it was real for me. I wasn't trying to criticize him. From my vantage point, I had never, ever seen a Puerto Rican like me or my family operating at that level. And you know, he understood it. He looked at me, he smirked, he said, tell you what I'm gonna do. Let me give you the strategy. You belong to a union. You have a union school. Go and study this, 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 and this, and you could do what I do. But here's the thing. He loved, lovingly looked me in the eye and he gave me permission to be more than what I was. He gave me permission to see beyond what I had seen. And it wasn't that there was not enough. It was that I did not know that there was more. Because nobody. Hmm? I was hungry because I was upset at my mother-in-law. And I wanted to prove my mother-in-law wrong. Right? What, what I appreciate from that moment, because for me, that marked my entire yeah. life. Yeah. Because here I see a man coming to me, looking at me in the, in the face and saying, I give you permission to do more. And he gave me a revelation. He gave me some advice that helped me to break through my current understanding, my current logic, my current mindsets, which were all poverty mindsets, because I was taught thoroughly how to be poor. I was never taught how to be more affluent, so to speak, or do better for myself. Hence, I got a job that my dad, that's, that's where I went. And I felt I had reached the crescendo. I, I, I'm here, I, I've made it. No, that's just one step. But my dad could not help me because he himself didn't know. Sometimes you're the one that gets the revelation and you become the deliverer of your family. I'm going to say it again. I'm going to say it again. People, if, if you're going to tweet something, that's what you're going to tweet today. Sometimes you're the one that gets the revelation and you become the deliverer of your family. So what did I do? I went into school right away. Six years night school. Two times a week. Mondays and Wednesdays. Uh, sometimes three times a week. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, I go, I mean, I would come home busted, tired, exhausted. But I was excited because of what I was going to become. And so the day I got all my certifications, no experience, I immediately started going for interviews. And the people were saying, but you're too young. I was, now I was 19. No, no, wrong, wrong. I was already 22. Because I had to do a couple of years of night school. 
22. So I started interviewing, and every interview I gave it my all. I'm excited, and they were saying, you're too young. But one lady had just bought her first building, and she decided to give me a chance. And I made right by her. I, I mean, I really worked hard, and I worked with her. It, with this one building, it was her and I. And, and then we hired a 68-year-old man. He helped me, and just we ran that entire thing in the Bronx. But before I left, I told my dad, Dad, I got good news. He said, what's that? I'm leaving my job. I'm going to become one of the highest paid resident managers in the city of New York. He looked at me serious. He looked at me concerned. And he said, son, be careful. Then we have a saying in, in, in Spanish that I will not repeat today. <laughs> because, you know, he was very concerned for me. And you know what he told me? He says, be careful because you might fail. Now, having said that, looking back, I'll tell you how he responded, but looking back, I see a genuine concern based on his worldview, based on his experience. He did not know where I was going because he himself had never experienced that. Hence, I could not depend on him to give me the emotional support to help me to go higher. I had to self-introspect. I had to make sure that I found the emotional encouragement in the Word of God because I couldn't find it in my parents. I couldn't find it in my brothers. I couldn't find it in the community where I was hanging out, playing basketball. By the way, I stopped playing basketball because none of my friends understood what I was doing either. Right? So I said, Dad, watch me prosper. See, I already had a clear picture because some other man had given me permission. And this is why it's, you got to be careful how you speak to your children, how you speak to the, the ones you're mentoring, because if you say the wrong thing, you could paralyze them for life. See? So what I did was I, I showed him. I started by wanting to get back at my mother-in-law, proving to her that, you know, I was a good man. I ended up being a better man. Because I ended up learning, growing, expanding. I told my dad, Dad, watch me prosper. And I did. I worked. I got the job. Then from there, I got a base. I received the base in my resume. I was able to burnish my resume and then go for the better jobs. And after a couple of years, what was my dad saying about me? Uh, that's my son, the resident manager. He's so proud of him. That's my son. Yeah, I was saying... You know? But I say, look at that. You know, I, I, I gave him honor. But also, because of that, my mind expanded, and then I went back to school. Because in pastoring, I also had to learn. So once again, I went back. Because here's the issue. How can you be successful and prosperous in something if you're ignorant about it? So each and every time when I felt a call, when God was calling me to do something, one of the first things I knew I needed to do according to Mr. Ramirez and according to reality, according especially to the word of God. God says, study to show yourself approved unto God. So I would go and study that very thing. So I went, and I, I need to get a certificate in Bible study. So I did. Then I went and got the associates. Then I went and got the masters. Uh, no, the bachelors. Then I went and got masters. And then I went and got the doctorates. And after that, we got a thesis together. Hurry up and finish yours. And where's yours? So... Yeah, I, I got all that. Then the thesis became a book. Do I have a book over here? Let me, let me get a copy. You got a book? Oh, here it is. Here, here. This is the first book that the Nazarios have ever put out. Now, I'm not saying this to boast. 
please understand, I'm not saying this to boast. I'm just letting you know what I had to go through to break through my circumstance to get to that more wealthier place, to get to that more affluent place so that I could become more for my children. Because by the way, my prosperity became my children's prosperity. They were able, I was able to pay for the school. I was able to help them. Uh, they never lacked a roof. And don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about money here. I'm talking about a mindset, a mindset. And for all of you back there, all of you right here, there's a mindset that you need to fight. And the worst enemy sometimes you're going to find is your own self. Because anytime you try to break through, immediately your mind is going to start fighting you. Sometimes it's your family. Sometimes it's your friends. I remember when I stopped playing basketball because I was preparing myself for success. Most of my buddies told me, what are you doing, Vic, man? You're not chilling anymore. Come on, let's play some people. I said, I have no time. I'm doing a very important thing. Oh, man, oh, later for you then. That's the way we used to talk back then. And But later on, guess what? When I was in my place of being able to hire people, guess who I hired? Some of those very people that criticized me for not playing basketball. Who told you to be playing basketball when you should be studying too? You understand my point? Somebody's got to catch it first though. And so they have a book. This is the first one. I'm starting to work on the second one. Isn't that cool? That's a nice picture, right? That's like a book picture. I like that. I, I, I clean up pretty well. See? <laughs> Let me see the book too. Go buy it. <laughs> sign? Of course I'll sign it. Absolutely. I went the other day to preach in a church and I just brought a couple so that you know, in case they wanted uh, a copy. And, and so at the end, the pastor gets up, she offers it to the people and like all 25 went. And then the lady, one lady says, I want it signed. I said, all right. So they put a little table for me here, and I sat down. And a, a line of 25 people wanted the book signed. Here, I'm tired. I want to go home. I just finished preaching. I was in a four-hour service. It was so cool, a great service. But I was tired. I had to sign 25 books. And you know me. I, I can't just pick, put Victor Nazario. I had to look at them, get a word from God, and just yeah. encourage. So I had to write, like, you know, 25 blogs, you know. And they stayed there waiting. They stayed there waiting the full amount of time. I looked at them and I said, if I would have listened to my friends, nothing. Although I might have been number one in playing, what do you call that? The, a, no, not Atari. That's old. That, that, come on, that's old. No, no. no. I, I played Atari back in the 70s. Yeah. I, I, I did Xbox? What is it? Xbox? Some people are ex ex experts at Xbox. It's a career. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about that. There are people that are making millions in that, but they're the smart ones. They are seeing opportunities in things where people are just having fun at. See, if you are a wealthy person up here and here, you're looking at opportunities, whereas other people just want to be entertained. And that's a problem. We only want to be entertained. I gotta go to, I have to see a movie this week. And why? I worked so hard this week. Okay, and how much money is that gonna make you at the end? No, it's not making you the money, it's making the actor the millions of dollars. It's making you nothing. Zero, zilch, nada, niente. A good one? All right, thank you. See, and here's the problem we wanna be entertained, we wanna be amused. 
We have a need to be amused. That will guarantee you'll be poor the rest of your life. That will guarantee you won't have enough for your family, for your church, for your community. That will guarantee you'll never get that place of promotion. Because you can't go to the place where, where the interview is there saying, okay, what have you done? I, I, I got three million in Star Wars. <laughs> points, you know, points, you know. Okay, and how's that gonna help me run my company? The word amused comes from the word a which is neutral and muse which is like just entertain so we have to be potentially perennially in a place of just a, a zombie like mindset because that's what happens when you're being entertained you don't think anymore you're just letting life pass by you know life is passing by and you're going emotech emotech And others are going, okay, where's the opportunity here? Where's the opportunity? If somebody's buying widgets, you have a store. They come up to you, can I have a widget? Say, we don't sell widgets here. All right. Another person comes in, um, can I buy a widget? So we don't sell widgets here. Third guy comes in, now you're annoyed because they keep on asking you for widgets. You stupid. You should order some widgets and sell some widgets. But see, the wise man will see, the wise woman will see opportunities. Jesus said, uh, 5,000 men besides men and women. The disciples say, listen, the day is over. We have to let them go. He was preaching all day long. You think I have a problem, 45 minutes preaching? Jesus preached all day long, from morning to night. And it says, when the day ended, it was late in the day, the disciples came to him and said, Jesus, you're preaching too long. They're hungry. They want to go back to their homes. Send them maybe to local hotels. 5,000 men, the Bible says, besides, men, by, besides women and children. So there was around 15 to 20,000 people that day in the hills. And they were all hungry. And do you know what Jesus says? Feed them. And the, the, the disciples said, we don't have anything. He says, feed them. So they go around and they find a kid with two pieces of fish and five loaves of bread. And so they go up to Jesus. I'm sure, because this is the way I would have been thinking. I am sure that they probably brought up the, the fish and the loaves to Jesus as a sign to let him know how ridiculous his request was. I am sure of it. I am convinced of that. De ahí nadie me saca. Nobody will take me out of that mindset. I will believe that till I go before Jesus and say, Jesus, come on, come on, come on. You know they were chiding you, right? Yeah. So Jesus says, feed him. So they go up to him and says, it's good. He takes it, goes to the Father, blesses it, right? He says, thank you for this provision. So Jesus saw something they didn't see. And this is the issue. We think we don't have enough. God is saying, that's more than enough. Give it to me, I'll multiply it. I will show you the miracle, but you have to bring something to me. And so he brings the fish and the loaves, and he takes it, and he starts handing it to them. He starts handing it to them. And they start feeding the multitudes, and they're going. And as they're going, according to the way this thing looks, it seems to be that as they were going and feeding the people, there was more that was multiplying in their own hands. It wasn't that they kept on going back to him. It's he gave them a certain amount, and then they kept on going. It just kept on multiplying. It was a miracle, and they were blown away. And then guess what? Watch this. This is Almighty God. The world tells you there's not enough. But when they came back and they did the post-meeting, 
afterwards, there were 12 baskets left over. Guess who took the baskets home? It was the disciples. See, God, he shows them. Listen, there's more than enough. You're just missing something. Look with another eye, with a keen, a discerning eye around you. There's not, you're not in a place where there's not enough. This time, more than ever before, people know how, they need to know how good God is. Because all they see on TV, there's not enough. There's destruction. There's devastation. People are killing each other. People are committing suicide. You've got to bring the message of God Almighty. Because they're not getting it. They can only get it from us. And if we've also embraced this mindset that it's devastation, there's not enough, we're, we're all doomed, you know, the sky is falling, then there's no hope. Because the only hope is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. So you need to shift your mindset. What's happening next week here? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is a great opportunity. What did Jesus do? He lifted up what he had in the presence of God, and he thanked God for what he had instead of criticizing that he didn't have enough. So we need to realize, be grateful for who you are. Okay, I'm going to break a mindset right now. The devil's a liar. You've been taught that you're no good. You've been taught that you're never going to mount anything. You've been taught that you are less than. And right now, I rebuke that. I serve notice on the enemy that that mindset, the days are over. Greater is he that is in you. Greater is he that is in you. Greater is he that is in you. And God's about to do a breakthrough in your mindset, in your mind, in your heart, in your future. It's time to shine. It's time to come forth and be who God called you to be. And if you haven't connected with God yet, now it's time because there is somebody great that needs to come forth for God's glory and the benefit of those that he called you to serve. Come on, give him some praise. Hallelujah. Amen.